Well, this morning, Drew was supposed to preach. And so I said, yeah, Drew, I'd be happy to preach. Um, Genesis 3, 8 through 25. He goes, oh, no, Rob, I've been studying that passage, and I am so excited to preach that passage, you don't get to preach it. (laughs) Thanks, Drew. What do you want me to do? I'll just do whatever you want to do. Our church is used to exegetical, expositional preaching of the Word of God. And I hope you thoroughly love coming to a church that lets the Scripture drive the sermon, not a pastor's outline or his creative use of words to drive a sermon. So we have an intentionality from this pulpit that we are going to preach the Word of God, letting the Word of God drive the Scripture. That's exegetical, expositional preaching of the Word of God. Well, this morning, I thought, let's pull out from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 this morning, and let's try the very best we can to link a couple of things that are going on in the entire Bible that when you look back to the garden, you would say, wow, that's pretty cool. And so this is not an exegetical letting Scripture be the thing that's going to take us through this morning. I would call this more of a theological or a doctrinally based sermon. And so we are going to take a topic and see how through Scripture it flows. And so here is what we're linking this morning. We're linking the Garden of Eden with the tabernacle, with our hearts. We're linking the Garden of Eden with the tabernacle, with our hearts. And so here goes nothing. (laughs) This morning's sermon is called Dwelling in the Garden. And I hope you can see how God from the very beginning shows that He wants to dwell with man. And that's what we want to see. Charles Spurgeon gave a quote that says, The heart of the believer is Christ's garden. He bought it with his precious blood, and he enters it, and he claims it as his own. Our heart is Christ's garden, and he claims it as his own. Exodus 25 verse 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. How unbelievable that we serve a God that from the very beginning, He instituted a plan that He could dwell in the sanctuary with man, with woman. Like, that is a mind-boggling conception. And it's a conception of thought that many people do not believe. They think God is this far off person. He's not. He is intimately involved in each one of our lives. And so we would ask the question this morning, where did God dwell with man? The first place is in the garden. And we were about to read, if Drew were preaching this morning, Genesis 3, verse 8. 
You remember 1 through 7 where they fell? And then here comes God. Genesis 3.8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So where did God dwell with man? First of all, in the garden. And how did He do it? He did it by walking around. That's an amazing statement. The Hebrew word there for walking is the word halak. Halak. It means walking around. It means walking back and forth. From the beginning of time, God was dwelling with woman and with man in the garden. Have you ever had a walking buddy? Anybody have a walking buddy? You know who my walking buddy is? It's my wife. It's my wife. You know what our rhythm is? And a number of you see it periodically. We will get home from work and we will get out on East Cliff Drive and we will go down towards Capitola Village and you know that hill that goes up towards Shadowbrook? Y'all know that hill? That hill is a booger bear. <laughs> My wife makes me walk that hill five times. I don't enjoy it, but I do it because I love her. Actually, I love it. We have gotten into this rhythm and we walk and we will go up and down that hill. And do you know what we do that entire time? We just talk. We just talk. Would you not agree, honey? This has been some of the best season of our life together because we just take time to walk with each other. And you know what we do every day when we go on that walk? Hey, honey, how was your day? How are things going? And she asks me, how was your day? How are things going? And then it always just diverts into talking about this or talking about that. And we can just catch up with each other. You know what is wonderful about our walks? It's, it's uninterrupted. It's uninterrupted. We're not on our phone. We're just hanging with each other. Isn't that awesome? We walk with each other. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 through 13, a lot of people don't run to a Leviticus, but there is some good stuff. Leviticus 26.11 says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bars of your yoke and I have made you walk erect. We serve a God who will walk among us. He will be our God and we will be his people. And when that happens, he makes us walk erect. He breaks down bars of our yoke and he makes us walk erect. We have confidence when we walk with the Lord that he says, you can do this. Get those shoulders up. You can do this. 
He even promised to walk with his people as he did from the very beginning with the patriarchs, the saints of old. Just to name a few. Genesis 5, 22 and 24. Enoch walked with God. Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Genesis 17. And the Lord God appeared to Abram saying, Walk before me and be blameless. And again, Abraham mentions back in Genesis 24 verse 40. The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. We see that people have walked with God throughout Christian history. That's quite a statement that God would want to be and dwell among us and walk with us. Not only did God dwell with man in the Garden of Eden, but he gave man a purpose. As we've learned from Drew over the past number of weeks, man's job in the garden was to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. What's amazing is that Drew connected us with that phrase of working and keeping, and I'll read it to you from Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. But what we need to remember that Drew has pointed out to us, those very words, to work, to keep, to guard, those were priestly duties. They were priestly duties that the Israelites understood when they were in the wilderness. And so whenever they're reading Genesis that Moses is speaking to them, they are saying, you mean from the very beginning? You mean from even before the fall in Genesis 3? In Genesis 2.15, there were priestly duties for man to work and to keep. And that could actually be a form of worship. This priestly duty to Adam from the beginning, it was the same language that would later be used, giving the same responsibility to the Levites when they were in the tabernacle. They were to work and to keep. They were to guard. Remember, this working, keeping, guarding, this was again prior to the curse in Genesis 3. Just to point out, our work is not a punishment. Our work is an opportunity to fulfill the purpose of our very life. Our work is an opportunity to actually worship God. So if you are doing a menial task in work and labor and you feel like that there's no purpose for why you wash those dishes or why you sell those cars or why you patrol the streets as an officer, It is a gift to get to work and to keep and to guard. It's actually a priestly duty that allows us the opportunity to glorify our Father in heaven as a form of worship, even through our work. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, No matter what you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I would hope that we would view our work that way. But as we all know, the Garden of Eden... Something happened 
last week in our sermon. And sin entered in to the relationship between the Lord God and man on earth in the garden. That sin, it separates. Sin separates. It separated the man and woman from walking and worshiping with God. And the implication of that sin, which Drew will point out here in a few weeks in Genesis 3.24, let me read it to you. He drove out the man, and at the east of the, Eden, of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So for those of you that are new to church, cherubim is a plural for angels. So an angel is a cherub. Multiple angels are cherubim. And so now you see that these angels, these cherubim, are guarding, they're keeping the Garden of Eden because man sinned. And sin separates man from God. And so what did God do? Well, He just finished writing the Bible. He shut it and He said, I'm done. These people are crazy. And we hear an amen. Sometimes we're crazy. We're full of sin. And so God just quit on us. Did He? No, no He didn't. He didn't. In fact, He gave us a hint in Scripture of what is going to happen next. He's going to continue to walk with us. He's going to continue to dwell with us. The next one that I want to point out to you, point number two, God dwells with us in the tabernacle. He dwells with us in the tabernacle. That's His next sanctuary. So we have the same God who never changes. We have a different location for Him to dwell. It's not the garden setting, but it's in the wilderness. And I ask the question, have you ever felt like you're in the wilderness? Have you ever felt like you're lost and wandering? You ever been down in the desert and it's just absolutely miserable? Well, God can meet you there as well. And He met them there. And so He walked among them in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Isn't that an amazing statement in Deuteronomy? We serve a God who was walking in the midst of their camp. He was dwelling with them and he was going to show up in all of his glory. But what cannot God do? He cannot fellowship with sin. And so, hey, Israelites, go through your camp, get out the sin, and be holy. What's amazing in that verse in, De in Deuteronomy 23, he uses the same word halak. Halak. God 
is walking around back and forth in the midst of their camp to dwell with his people in tents, nomadically, as they're wandering in the desert. God is showing his people that he has not forsaken them. He is with them and he wants to dwell with them. He wants to walk with them. And so just like in the garden, though, man's job is to work and to keep it as a form of worship that we see literally by the Levites. Numbers 3, verses 5 through 8 says, And the Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard the furnishings of the tent of meeting. They shall keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Do you see this same language from the Garden of Eden? Just in a different set of circumstances. A different location. But priests are there working and keeping. They are guarding so that the Lord God can come and dwell in the midst of His people. Were they perfect priests? Were they a perfect people? The answer is no. They were just like us. But they were some bitter people. Do you remember what would happen when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies? You remember this? The priest would go into the Holy Holies, which is the very dwelling place of God, where God's glory would come down from heaven. The priest would have to tie bells on the bottom of his robe, and he would have to tie a rope around his ankle. Y'all remember this? You remember why he had to do that? Because they weren't dare going to go into the Holy of Holies. And so as long as his bells were ringing, the priest was still alive. But if his bells stopped ringing, they knew that he did not go in there in the presence of God in a holy fashion. And he killed over and died. And so why the rope ran around? To pull him out. They took sin seriously. They took sin seriously. Not only does sin separate, but sin brings death. The priest could not enter the very presence of God. He could not enter the Holy of Holies without purifying his heart perfectly before a holy God. If not, death would occur. And so again we ask, would God be done with them because they fall short of the glory of God? Had God given up on dwelling with man on the earth? No, He didn't. This theme of deep walking with God and worshiping God shows up over and over and over throughout Scripture. And you see it. And you see the... the you see the, the wording of... Gold and precious stones. You see wood. You see angels guarding. So just think about this. In Solomon's temple, you hear that language. When Jesus is cleansing the temple, you hear that language. 
When you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, you hear that language. Upon Calvary, you hear that language. In the very garden tomb, you hear and you see that language. We could go on and on and on throughout Scripture where you see God desiring to dwell with His people in a garden. God desiring to dwell with His people in the tabernacle. But I want us to look finally at the one that probably hits the closest to home. Where does God desire to dwell with man? In our hearts. In our hearts. He dwells among us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. This is an amazing verse. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. I am the temple of the living God? Question mark. He wants to dwell with me? He wants to come and walk with me? He will be my God and I will be his people? Therefore, Rob, go out from their midst and be separate. We don't play with sin. We come to the Lord on His terms. And we dwell with Him. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? These very words. Do I not know that I am God's temple and that His Spirit is dwelling in me? God dwells with us in our hearts. Same God, different place to dwell. It's not in the garden. It's not in the tabernacle. But He is dwelling in our hearts. Just to make it clear, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in your heart. When I repented of my sins, and confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at the age of nine, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in me. And He has never left me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He dwells in me. He desires to walk with me. He desires to minister to me. He relates to me in the most intimate way of all relationships. He is saying, hey, Rob, no matter your past, hey, Rob, no matter your insecurities, I will dwell with you and I will dwell with you in your heart. So when we repent of our sins and we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we say, I cannot do this on my own and I need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my sin, 
The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and dwells with us. But we do it on His terms. Again as in the garden. Again as in the tabernacle. The very next verse in 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple, my friend. Sin not only separates us, sin not only brings death, sin can also destroy Has anyone ever experienced the implications of that sin? And we have a heavenly father who cannot fellowship with sin. So once again, God says, I'm done with you all. You crazy people. No. He says, I will dwell with you. And I will walk with you. And so I will solve this problem. And I solve it in my son Jesus Christ. I solve it through my son Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ came. Born of a virgin. Lived a perfect life. He came. He endured suffering. He went to the garden shed drops of blood because he was facing the wrath of God. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. I love John 14, 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to dwell with God? Go through His Son, Jesus Christ. You want to live a life where you can literally commune, hang out, talk with, be loved on, cared for, and intimately known by God, the Creator of heaven and earth? You come through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do, you get Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Christ accomplished for us what we could not accomplish on our own. And that is holiness. He gave us a covering for our sin through the shedding of His blood on the cross. And so the question becomes... How do we dwell with the Lord God? And I would propose to you, come to Him humbly. Come to Him humbly. Isaiah 57, verse 14 and 15. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, and whose name is holy. And here's who that God says. I will dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly 
and to revive the heart of the contrived. You want to know how to dwell with God? You come to Him humbly. And you know what He will do? He will revive you from death to life. And it is miraculous. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? Y'all see the tabernacle language there? And what is the place of my rest? You ever go rest in a garden? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one who he'll dwell with. This is the one who he'll go on walks with. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Our prayer should be, God, make me humble. Give me a contrite spirit. Give me wisdom to actually understand what it means to tremble at your word. Our God dwells in the high and holy place with those of a gentle and lowly spirit. Our application this morning, I would ask the question, is Christ dwelling in your garden? Is He dwelling in your garden? He wants to walk with you daily. He wants to pursue you lovingly. The question is, does He have your heart? If He doesn't, come to Him this morning with a humble and contrite spirit. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to cover you so that you can be holy. He will dwell with you. And he's a great walking partner. My question to you further is, what sin is separating you from this intimate relationship with God? Unconfessed sin separates. Unconfessed sin brings death. Unconfessed sin destroys. Praise the Lord that salvation can cover me for eternity. But my walking with God, He isn't going to hang out with sin. And so let's confess our sin. I cannot get away this morning without just a little bit of Gardening 101. There are a few of you in this room, so Drew, if you'll just shut your ears, that are a little more educated on gardening. But at one time, I was an urban farmer. My kids hated those years of our life because we worked hard. And so let me just give you a few gardening tips. Did you know in gardening there's a law of sowing and reaping? Did you know that you reap what you sow? If you put in a strawberry seed, what's going to come out? Strawberries. If you put in a strawberry seed, are you just going to get one strawberry? You're going to get a bunch of strawberries. Is this right, Mr. Barclow? Did you know you reap what you sow? Did you know that you reap more than you sow? And did you know that you reap later than you sow? 
you don't just put that little seed in the ground and then out pops a bunch of strawberries. It takes time. It takes time. Let me read a few passages. So just hang with me. Proverbs 22. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever, though, has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. For they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. Hosea 10. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You've plowed iniquity and you reap injustice. You've eaten the fruit of flies because you've trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Finally, Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows of his own flesh, from his flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And that's why we come to church every Sunday. And that's why we pray when Kaylee Hardwick gets sick and gets put in the hospital and we come to a members meeting and we pray for her. That's why we go to community groups on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. That's why we go roller skating on Friday night as about 25 women did. Because we are sowing in each other's lives. And you know what? You will reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow. And you will reap much later than you sow. And so don't lose heart. Don't give up if you're in the wilderness. We serve a God who wants to go on walks with us. And he cares about us. I wish we could fully comprehend how much God really loves us. Will you pray with me?